For our series of the ADC's competition talks with leading experts, we have today Thomas Hun, visiting researcher at Imperial College Business School, senior advisor at Mazars LLP in London, and an affiliate consultant at NARA Economic Consultants in Berlin. Thomas is a highly experienced economist, specialized in applied economic research, business consulting, and regulation. Amongst the many positions that he held in the past, he was a reporting panel member of the UK Competition Commission, and he previously held teaching and research positions at various universities, such as the Imperial College, but also Zurich, the LSE, and King's College. Thomas was a partner also at PricewaterhouseCoopers. Thomas, welcome to Lisbon. It is my pleasure to have this Comcast with you. Yes, hello, um, Anna-Sophia. It's a pleasure to be here and I'm um, delighted to be able to answer a few of your questions. Well, to start off, Thomas, uh, you regularly act as a monitoring trustee for the European Commission uh, with a record that covers a number of different industries as pharmaceuticals and uh, many others, uh, aeronautics, if I well recall, well, a wide number of industries, but also in very high-profile merger cases. And that puts you in a very privileged position to give uh, insightful comments as to the design of merger remedies, which is uh, something that can be very challenging for competition authorities. Now, building up on your experience as a monitoring trustee, what are the main risks that you identify in terms of remedy design? Well, first of all, we need to distinguish between divestiture remedies and behavioral remedies. The major area of discussion has been around divestiture remedies, particularly in merger control. And there, I like to start with the definition or the, the description of the CMA in one of its guidelines, which talks about composition risk, purchaser risk, and asset risks. And the first one is the one that we really need to pay attention to. The composition risk in a divestiture remedy concerns the scope of the package of assets that um, is being divested. And here there is a risk that the asset and the package is not broad enough in order to sustain and attract a suitable purchaser who is then able to compete in the relevant market with the business that is seeking to get its merger cleared. And what is important when we talk about the ability to compete for a new entity, a purchaser that comes into the market or is in the market and wants to expand, is that the notion of innovation is important. So a potential purchaser has to be able not only to compete but also to innovate and innovation has become a much more important element of any remedies analysis in uh, emerger cases. Well indeed, so to sum up The coverage of the assets that are being divested is very important and you need to have a package that appeals to buyers. Otherwise, obviously, it's not, not going to be effective and you're not going to, to be able to restore competition through, through that divestiture. And it's interesting that you mentioned innovation that has become increasingly important also uh, following some recent decisions of the European Commission on that respect. Now, given the risks that you have identified, what are... Uh, the main recommendations, if I may ask, to somebody that has seen so many remedies being implemented? Yeah, as a general point, and that's a point that applies not just to divestiture remedies, but also behavioral remedies, it's very important that the remedies correspond to and respond to 
a theory, a well-defined theory of harm. They need to be fit for purpose. Also, they need to be clearly spelled out in terms of their objectives to allow the monitoring trustee to set monitoring priorities. It also allows the companies to focus their compliance effort where they matter most. So clarity is very important for that reason. It also helps to deal with any ambiguity that may arise if the let's say, the set of commitments which formulate um, and, uh, a particular remedy and put it into words, binding words, that they can be, you know, gaps and there's a need for interpretation. And if it's very clear what the remedies are designed to do, it's easy to fill those gaps. So as a second recommendation, and that's very specific to a divestiture remedy, is the need to avoid undue complexity. This has to do also with the composition risk. How do you put together a package that works? If you have a very complex package, it may be difficult to actually implement the remedy. What do I mean? If you have a number of assets from the two merging parties that are being put together into a divestiture package, What's the guarantee that they work together, that they are sufficient to actually establish an effective a competitor? What if there are carve-outs, that is, business assets are carved out of, let's say, the acquiring party as well as the target? Uh, these carve-out arrangements are sometimes very difficult to implement. So competition authorities naturally have a preference for divesting a standalone business, and that's for good, very good reason. Um, so that is a very important issue around complexity. That has to do with the design of the package. Another element of complexity that needs to be thought of is what happens after closing of a transaction. There is an increased recognition, if you think of what the FTC and the DOJ did when they reviewed remedies practice recently, there's an emphasis on what happens post-closing. A number of remedies involve transitional supply agreements, distribution agreements that carry on for sometimes a year or two. And there's a question of whether these post-closing arrangements are adhered to. And maybe it is necessary to give more thought about those uh, those arrangements and also their monitoring thereof. Well, indeed, I can see some of the challenges that I faced as a case handler in the merger control uh, department for uh, for a long time and, and, and avoiding complexity uh, is sometimes complex in itself. <laughs> it's a difficult task and, and, and it is indeed a very important one. We've discussed here quite a lot on divestiture, which is obviously one of the key elements of, of remedy design. Also because, uh, for example, the Portuguese Competition Authority, we seek to avoid as much as possible behavioral remedies. We privilege uh, structural remedies because of many issues that behavioral remedies uh, may pose. However, sometimes this is an option in specific circumstances. So since we've covered more uh, structural remedies, can you share some insights in terms of uh, behavioral remedies and maybe mention uh, to us uh, one of the 
the most recent experiences where you were involved and that has to do with the open banking initiative uh, that was so important and that followed the sectoral inquiry, inquiry of the CMA. So can you please share some insights on that regard, please? Yes, Anna Sophia, there's indeed a strong preference for structural remedies, divestiture remedies over behavioral remedies. But the reality is that we do have a lot of behavioral remedies. Also at the EU level, at least 30%, if you look at the recent uh, statistic. I've also done a study, it's a few years ago, but it was instructive, 2000-2008, of national merger remedy practice. And there are some countries like the UK, which also has a strong preference for structural remedies, with 70% of uh, remedies being of uh, a divestiture nature. But if you go and look at other countries like France, there is clear indication that their behavioral remedies are still very important. And behavioral remedies occur particularly in network bound or infrastructure industries, which are also typically more frequently an issue in national competition uh, authority investigations if you take merger investigation, but also antitrust issues arise in network industries. And so their access to infrastructure is very important. You also have, and that applies at the national as well as the international level, access to technology. And here we have, in a number of merger cases, behavioral remedies, whether it is a commitment to provide interoperability information, goes way back to Microsoft, whether it's a commitment not to take out injunctive relief or start injunctive relief proceedings, in a mobile SEP environment. I can name a number of those, those high-profile cases where access to technology is very important. And now, turning to an uh, antitrust issue, which is the open banking market investigation where I was part of, I was the panel member, as you say. I'm no longer with the, the CMA. What I say now is my own view, but you can read our report from August 2016 where we found an adverse, adverse effect on competition uh, arising from a number of features in the market, in the retail banking market. They had a lot to do with, also with, with the behavior of consumers and how banks responded. And we found that there were some barriers to entry for innovation, new products, new firms, and that incumbents had an advantage, not least due to their superior information base, access to data about their customers, their transaction records, which allowed them to assess and tailor their offerings to, um, uh, to their consumers, which is a natural advantage, but it's one that made it difficult for, uh, for competitors to compete on a level playing field. So we mandated that an industry development which is already taking place, which is technological and regulatory development, namely to develop a application a programming interface with respect to customer data would be continued, would be continued to be developed and supported by the largest banks uh, ahead of the implementation of the Payment Services Directive 2, which was then about being finalized. And so we mandate that, and we also mandated that the banks sponsor a open banking implementation entity, which is very important in order to make this happen. And indeed, it has had an effect. We now have uh, uh, regular publications by the Open Banking Implementation Unit that talks about how many uh, new entities have been registered, because 
who's these entrants that want to make use of these facilities, they need to be registered beyond one of day. That's a consumer protection issue. There's also a privacy issue, data protection issue. But there has been a lot of interest in this remedy, and it has allowed new competitors to come in and offer new services to customers, whether it's personal current account customer, whether it's uh, it's it's uh, SME uh, banking uh, providers. So that's an example of a data remedy, which is uh, stands for other remedies that are now being discussed in the world of competition policy. If you look at the recent reports by the working group of DG Comp, that as as the largest chapter, chapter five, is about the data economy and the issues that arise, and also some of the remedies that need to be considered in such a situation. Well, indeed, very hot topics at the moment. And it's also good to see that development in the UK were so so quick, so so ahead of of the transposition of the PSE2. Things have not been as quick, but much rather delayed here in Portugal. So it's good to see these experiences and how in fact that they can bring better products and better deals for consumers, which is uh, what we all look for. Thomas, it was a great pleasure to have this uh, Comcast with you. Thank you very much. Thank you. 